Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here tonight with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing tonight? A little better. Yeah. A lot. A lot. Man, do we need that. Do we need that? D'Amico Cost going to need that, but do we need that? The fans, the fan base just need it. Like, I can't remember the last time I saw the Oilers play like the, like, like, look like the Oilers, like, look like a team with some talent and verve and ability to play the game and it <laughs> they did everything they could to lose the game of course but somehow they won and mm. uh that was just thrilling that was a thrilling game and i couldn't believe it like that they hung on and won <laughs> i couldn't believe i was just expecting the other shoe to drop in the third period bruce and it almost did That's of course we've seen so many times yeah i was just expecting <laughs> doom and it didn't happen and uh, we'll get into why. So we'll do our two good things, two bad things, and two numbers podcast because it's an honors win. We'll do the uh, we'll do the uh, two good things each. Bruce, I, I think I should start it off because my good thing really is the story of the game is Miko Koskinen. And of course, not one Oilers fan ever lost faith in Koskinen in the last month or two. Oh no! There's been remarkable support <laughs> for him as he struggled. And the fans were repaid for, for their loyalty tonight, Bruce, yeah. with an absolutely remarkable, it really was a remarkable goalie performance. The Flames had 20 grade A shots mm-hmm. on the orders, 20 grade A shots. You should probably be scoring five goals, but when you, the, the quality of the Flames shots, we, I count, so, so kind of unofficially, I count it within the grade, grade A shots, I count what I call five alarm, five bell shots. And the Flames had nine of them. You know, I think those five bell shots, you're going to score about 40% of the time. And um, they had nine of them. They did not score on one of those shots. Their their shots were ten, tended to be screen shots. Um, let me just see if, if any of them were, uh, was actually one of them a five alarmer? Oh, actually one of them was. Yeah, the first goal, the first goal was a, right. on a five. Alarm. So he he stopped, he stopped um, eight of the nine. And Bruce, in the third period, there was a oh. run of four straight, four that straight. There was that saves. incredible, but between the legs, Kachuk shot. There was like, Kachuk had a had a um, a pass across the crease from pass into the slot from uh, Gaudreau that he couldn't score on. Um, Another pass across this, I think, I can't remember who got the last one. Was it Mangiapani? No, I'm not sure who got the, right near the end, there was a real, like a 10-minute. him in the ribs? Or there was also uh, one no, where. No worry, no worry. He, he went sprawling with his pad across the crease. That last Left one. Side, yeah, yeah. That was unreal. It, it was just one after another. There was two of those, so they were stunning saves. Like I thought, <laughs> those are goals. And uh, and the big netminder uh, came up with the, uh, came up with the stops with the game on the line. It was it, it 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 at times reminded me of Koskinen twenty nine twenty his his great run like when he had I think nine seventeen nine sixteen mm-hmm. save percentage on the year he earned his big contract which is uh, not pleased many Oilers fans that contract but that's when he earned it and in that year he had he had a number of games like this where the other team started to miss the net on their chances and we saw that mm-hmm. on as the game went on we started to see that on the Flames because he's so big. I think when he's hot and playing well, the other team starts to to really 
force try to force that puck to hit the corners and they start missing the net and we that's how good Koskinen was tonight so good for him he's obviously he's obviously a very decent man everything you see when he's interviewed he seems very reasonable very mild man mm. uh kind of calm and uh he, it's nice to see a nice guy come up with a huge win i don't know how what the future holds for miko Koskinen with the edmonton oilers but that was a huge, huge victory. I mean, Bruce, the Oilers had slipped finally to real 500. They had 18 yeah. wins and 18 losses. And now yeah. they're one game above real 500. If you're mm-hmm. a real 500 team, you can make the playoffs in the NHL. This keeps the Oilers in the hunt. And um, a huge moment for the team when they were undermanned by five regular players out of the lineup. We went over it by Mike Smith, Zach Hyman, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, Zach Cassian, and Tyson Berry. So That's a lot of minutes, David. That is. What's your good thing, Bruce? Yeah, well, I'm going to go with the uh, with the game here, or one of them at the other end. Uh, that would be the man who scored the winning goal, Leon Dreisaitl, uh, who uh, uh, wound up the night with two goals and two assists. Um, as uh, First of all, Edmonton's sleeping power play woke up with a pair of goals in the second period that both he and McDavid were in on. Uh, and then in the third, uh, Leon scored the uh, the tie-breaking goal with about five minutes left. That's usually McDavid time, where, where McDavid is famous for tying or winning games in about five minutes to play. But uh, this time it was Leon with a... A great move on a pretty darn good defenseman, uh, Chris Tanev. He kind of did the slow down and then the, the uh, change of speed on him, burst right around him. And the slot, uh, uh, sort of the, the weak side defenseman was tangled up with, uh, we'll call it tangled up with Yesipoliarvi. And he wasn't it able was, to get yeah. He wasn't able quite to get to the front of the net, and Leon went barged right across the face of goal, held the puck Glenn Anderson style until he came all the way out the other side and had time to turn and lift it up and over a sprawled Jacob Markstrom, and that was a uh, nice to see. He's been pretty quiet on the goal-scoing front for a while, and he just a couple of minutes earlier absolutely rang the goalpost with a rocket of a shot. (laughs) Did he ever? Uh, holy moly. I mean, what a <laughs> blast. Full slap shot. And he got all of that massive paddle on it and uh, rang the inside of the post. And the damn thing bounced off of the off of the right goal post. And it came all the way to the boards on the other side of the ice and, and the air. Like, it was just, uh, yeah. So, I mean, it wasn't a perfect game for him. Uh, he had a bit of a sloppy line change that was, I think, I don't think it mattered on the first goal. Like he was slow getting off, but I don't think if he was going to be the last forward back, regardless. Yeah, but it didn't help. Uh, he took a penalty, but I didn't think it was a bad penalty. On uh, that led to the two nothing Calgary goal. Like he was, you know, he was defending a dangerous Calgary chance, and he got caught with a, with a hold that was a hold. And so, you know, not not a perfect game and. Uh, only 10 out of 16 in the face, or 10 wins, 16 losses in the faceoff dot, which is a poor night for him. But he won the absolutely critical faceoff with 25 seconds to go that allowed the Oilers to uh, clear the zone and eventually for Leon himself to score the uh, clinching empty net goal with 0.001 seconds left on the clock, I think. Did you see the replay? 
puck was just crossing the line at, when it said 0 0.1 and the next frame you could the puck was clearly over the line and the clock was clearly at 0, 0.0 so he beat it by one frame so that's a bonus point so two goals and two assists and a, a very welcome eruption from either of oilers top stars it's been a long time since either of the boys have had uh, a three or four point game so yeah. it's very, very nice to see and uh Nice to see, you know, either one of them come through with, you know, a big play at a big time. I mean, there are game breakers here in Edmonton. And tonight, Leon came up with a game-breaking play. So, kudos to him. Yeah, I guess he took Ray Ferraro's advice. You know, Ray Ray was given the media training instead of sniping. Instead of when you're asked what's wrong with the team, all you got to say is, I, I need to do you more. Know, I need to do more myself. I need to make a big play. And uh, he he didn't have to say it; he did it, which is even better. So That's way better he also on the it. on the downside, he he also screened the goalie on uh, the third goal, um, third Flames goal. He was right in Koskinen's grill with the uh, Flames attacker. But he, you know, Bruce, <laughs> we're willing. I'm willing to forgive a lot. You score it. You can score a goal like that. Um, the winning goal. What a tremendous goal across the net. And and uh, the Flames defender would have had him if he had if Pugliarvi hadn't taken him out by hook or by crook or by by just bumbling. I, and I think it, I don't think it was intentional. I, you'd have to watch it again, but I just think they got caught up together. Mm -hmm. So that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. And I and I oh. do believe uh, anyway. Drysdale was what a fabulous goal, and uh, you know one of the one of the. It's been a while, Bruce. You know, early in the year, we had all these great plays to talk about. You know, there were yeah. shifts that would last a minute and a half, you know, with wow. 30, 40 passes. There was McDavid mm -hmm. doing this and that and the other thing, scoring fabulous goals and all kinds of things to get excited about. It has been a long time since Oilers fans have had much to get excited about. This game is easily the most thrilling game in probably two months, I'm guessing. May, you know, yeah, two months. Well, and first, first win in five weeks. I guess they came from behind. They beat, they beat Seattle. They yeah. were down two nothing in the first period, and they came back to win five three. Sound familiar? But that time they were down a whole bunch of guys due to COVID, and they were playing short staffed. And they even, you know, they had they were they, they were down a skater, and they had two guys that were on emergency call up from the AHL, and they had to pull together as a team. You may recall I was particularly happy with that win just before Christmas, and then they shut down after that for a bunch of games. But when they came back, they just haven't had it. And you wonder yeah. how much of the co how much of it is the COVID thing. You know, I mean, there's the obvious that it's messed up the schedule and the routines and the and the and so on. But you wonder how many of these guys are, you know, just sort of uh, might have, you know, a little brain fog or a little, you know, a little just a, just not they're just they're not on top of yeah. their, you know, their highly yeah. physical. Um, yeah state of you know and, and lingering symptoms of one sort or another yeah i guess hyman will be back next game if he's cleared like like he mm -hmm. should be past the five days yeah. so if he's feeling well he'll be back yeah. cassian won't um and then of course barry i think barry rnh and smith that's all injury related so yes um do we know how long barry's out for bruce no i haven't heard anything and dave tippett's very closed mouth on uh to ever talking about injuries yeah, yeah. so but uh Barry, he didn't take part in the practice this morning, nor, and we saw him crash into the boards heavily with a few minutes left in the uh, Florida game. So, but that, uh, 
There's a silver lining to that, which I think is going to be your second yeah, good my, thing. That's correct. Before And before I get there, I just want to mention, so the Oilers had uh, the Flames, it was 20 to 13 for grade A shots for the mm-hmm. Flames. And in terms of the five alarm, five bells shots, it was nine for the Flames, four for the Edmonton Oilers. Oh. So that just speaks again to Koskinen's uh, brilliant play. Yeah, Tyson Berry was out. And we saw something that I'm going to say we probably should have been seeing a little bit earlier, maybe even last year, Bruce, maybe even last year. Yeah. Evan Bouchard running the Edmonton Oilers power play. And I'll note, even this game, Darnell Nurse started out as the power play quarterback. I, I Honestly, I couldn't believe that. Like, it just it just speaks to me of a conservatism of the coaches, mm-hmm. um, which I'm not in favor of in the end. And I think we also see it on the penalty kill where we see all the, you know, the legion of Smurfs killing off the penalties instead of putting up, you know, big Pugliarvi with his long reach, giving him a go. Anyway, Bouchard got his chance. And did he ever make the most of it? He made a indelible impression. I think we're going to see a lot more of him on the power play, even when Tyson Berry comes back. If you want to win games, the owner's power play is being shut down in part. Now, Tyson Berry has a good point shot. But the the other teams don't have to respect Tyson Berry's shot like they have to respect Evan Bouchard's shot. I saw something out there that I don't think I've seen in years, in all the years watching Leon Dreisaitl and Connor McDavid on the power play. Leon Dreisaitl shrugged off a pass to Connor McDavid, waited, 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 and put it to Evan Bouchard. Leon Dreisaitl never does that. He always passes the puck to Connor McDavid. But tonight... He was looking for Leon. You got the cat thing going on there, eh, Bruce? Yeah. And, uh, and it just spoke to when he's out there. The other teams, it's going to open up the whole bottom of the ice again for the Edmonton Oilers because you got to get out there on the point to cover him. You can't leave him open because if you do, he's going to do, he is going to do repeatedly to other teams what he did tonight against the Flames, which is to get very, very dangerous, lethal shots on net. I want to the uh, I want to focus on the the second one, right. which was uh, McDavid did the old Nugent Hopkins back pass to him, and um, Pulleyarvi screened it. On that one though, um, I take hockey lessons from you know the iconic skills coach of Edmonton, Jim Fleming. Mm. It's been around a few decades, and um, he's taught hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of us of us how to play hockey and he was teaching shooting this year and he made a great point he said there's a difference between shooting and scoring and what Bouchard did on that shot was he just waited he he had the patience and the skill just before he shot he was about to shoot the lane was blocked he pulled it in a little bit to his body, changed the angle of his shot, and that's why he scored that goal. That's how he got it past the Flames defender, by pulling the puck in and having that ability to do that and get off the shot and whip it past, uh, pull the RV screen and past the goalie. That's a goal scorer. That's something that is, Tyson Berry is a very, very good offensive hockey player, mm-hmm. but that is not something yes. Tyson Berry does. That's something mm-hmm. Evan Bouchard does. That's his greatness as a, as a point man. And more of that, please. We, he, he is, I think he should be the Oilers power play quarterback. Even when Tyson Berry comes back, I'm saying that. That's my vote. Well, he had, uh, 
two power play goals tonight in uh, four minutes, basically, of game time, and much less than that of power play time. I mean, Tyson Barry's played 106 minutes on the power play this year, and he has two power play goals. No other defenseman had even one all year until tonight, but with Barry being out, uh, and uh, Tippett did say Nursey's going to be on our number one power play, but uh, Bouchard seemed to wind up there fairly early on, and I noticed he started the second power play, and he scored again the second time, uh, one on a slapper and one on a wrist shot, and both just deadly accurate shots just inside the post. I mean, poor Jacob Markstrom's got to be wondering a little bit tonight, you know, like he didn't face that many good shots, but boy, did the Oilers ever bury the the chances that they had. Those two by Bouchard, a wicked shot by Brendan Perlini that put him ahead 3-2. Wicked shot by Perlini. And then, of course, the uh, the winner. But those, those two by Bouchard, Bouch bombs, Bouch bombs. That's what... Uh, and a lot of people have been saying for a while, this guy needs to be on the on the number one unit. And he got his chance tonight. Now we'll see when Barry comes back how they play it. They'll be hell to pay Bruce in in on with Oilers fans if he's not if Bouchard isn't, and this if the if the you know this coach is on he's he he's got like of his nine lives he's up to eight, and he's yeah. got to win he's got to win here so if he wants to win like you'd think oh, I'm gonna just stick with this kid here ride the hot hand and see how that goes. But uh, he does love his veterans. I will say that the coach loves his veterans. So, I mean, that's how else, how the hell else does Nurse start the game on the power play above Evan Bouchard? I mean, Darnell Nurse is a fine hockey player, but as a power player, he, no, he is not in the same league as Evan Bouchard. And the Oilers, and again, the Oilers power play, the other teams have been packing, packing it in getting aggressive, doing a number of different tactics against the orders, but essentially taking away McDavid and Dreisaitl. Mm-hmm. You get this guy out there and you have suddenly a third option way high, way far away from those guys. Yeah. And it changes the power play dramatically again. It adds this element that they have, they've never had to, well, they haven't had since Sheldon Surrey had that, you know, a great shot on the power play. Play the man, play the play, I guess, you know, the, the kid. Yeah. Give him a chance. Okay. Old man Bouchard. Old man. Play the old man. There you go. <laughs> What's maybe, your... Maybe uh, Tippett needs to learn his nickname and he'll give him a little more respect. <laughs> Graybeard. <laughs> play Graybeard. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yep. Yeah. My, uh, my second good thing is uh, a guy that played a key role in both of those uh, power play goals. Uh, Yessa Pugliarvi. Uh By stat tonight, David, he played... Uh, the thing that jumps off the page is he played 21 minutes and 43 seconds, just a few ticks less than McDavid and Drysdale as the Oilers clear number three forward in this game. Nobody else was particularly uh, well. Yamamoto, I guess he played 20 minutes, but so they had uh, uh, they used Pulleyarvi a lot. Uh, I'm pretty sure, without checking all the way down your scoring chances, that Pulleyarvi was given a major contribution to three Edmonton goals. Yeah in which he scored exactly zero points and the regular scoring mechanism, this is where it fails to actually pick up contributions from player. And this is where our system actually works in identifying 
those players because Pulgarvi was a key player on all three of those, the two power play goals and then the, the dry sidle winner, uh, simply by being in the damn way. You know, he just got this big body in a good place where uh, where Markstrom couldn't see the puck through him and the two, and the other time he barged into the slot and, you know, created the traffic that allowed, uh, you know, create a little bit of space for Leon to make that move to the net. And those were all... Uh, you know, very fine plays by. I don't. Th- I don't think Markstrom saw either of the Bouchard shots because Pugliarvi was in his face, and he, uh, you know, he had two shots of his own. One hit, one, uh, uh, one block shot, and you know, it's like kind of a quiet game, but it was anything but. Like he was, uh, he was, he was such a. Um, uh, he played such a key role away from the puck, and he had a good game with the puck. I thought he, you know, I thought he had a good, strong two-way game tonight, and was, you know, very noticeable in a good way throughout this game. Man, he, he almost came up big in the first period. The about three minutes in, uh, Drysaddle wins a couple puck battles along the boards, puts it back to Keith. <sighs> Keith gets a shot. I, th- I think it hit. I think there was a rebound. I don't know if it if it was off the goalie or a Flames player. Anyway. Pulley-Arvey pounced on it in the slot, kind of a mm-hmm. diving stab at the puck. And mm-hmm. I thought, oh, he's going to score, but he didn't. Uh, there was a save there, but he came so close there. That was his his own best, I think, shot at net. Let's move yes. on to bad things, Bruce. And my bad thing, I'll start it off with mm-hmm. the Flames' first goal. Now, you want to they have to go out to the games knowing we've got to play some sound defense here in the first period, right? So we're going to do all the fundamental things it takes to stop players from scoring goals. And one of the one of the key fundamentals in hockey is we're not going to let their best attacking forward take the puck in his zone and charge right up the middle of the ice, are we, at our defense? We're not going to let him go through over his blue line, over the red line, over the our blue line, picking up speed the entire way. We'll have, surely we will have people on him checking him, angling him to the mm-hmm. boards. So that can't happen. Anyway, it was a, it was a, it, I don't know how it happened. Like it's a, it was a strange play. You got two guys shifting off Fogel, f- first Fogel and then Drysaddle. Drysaddle is the second player to shift off. And like you say, I don't think his shift, which was, he was really slow getting off. I don't think it actually affected the play because Lindholm right. was long gone by then. Yeah. But Fogel, I think, shifted off Either he shifted off a little late or Perlini, when he got on the ice, Brendan Perlini was just slow to realize what's going right. on. And and I think it's probably that. Sometimes you get on the ice and you're you're kind of reading the play and you're, you're maybe you're a little bit sleepy or something. And he, what he needed to do was get right over an angle, uh, Lindholm to the boards, you know, take away some of his speed, but that yeah. did not happen. Lindholm just plowed right by him. And, now you can, when I first saw the play, I was thinking, Keith, what are you doing, Duncan Keith? Like you're so far in your own, there's so much gap there. You're so far in your own zone. And that's true. All that's true. But that's kind of what happens when you let a forward, really fast forward, come at the defenseman like that. They tend to back up because they don't want to get beat, which is kind of a smart thing to do. I, I still didn't like Duncan Keith on that play. But when I watched it again, it was clear to me that he wasn't the main culprit on that goal. It's the forward who failed to angle in the ne- the four words who failed yeah. to angle Elias Lindholm in the neutral zone as he came charging through there. So 
that's my bad thing was was that fundamental breakdown early in the game that led to the first Flames goal. And the first period was just rife with such mistakes. It was just one ghastly defensive miscue after another that the orders were able to survive. But take it from there, Bruce, because I know. Yeah, well, yeah, my bad thing is basically the first period where the orders were uh, outshot by uh, uh, 19 to 13. So they had some shots, but it was a wide open game and the orders defensive uh, game was not sharp. Uh, and the grade A chances by our count was 10 to 2 for Calgary, 10 in one period. And wow. it was, uh, yeah. And there was a little bit too much room out there. And man, how many times did Johnny Goodrow come up the left wing with the puck and a ton of room around him? It seemed like 100. Couldn't have been more probably than 60, but it, it was. <laughs> seemed Where's like, Adam oh, Larson when you need him? I got the puck. Here's a breakout pass. Here comes Goudreau one-on-one against the right defenseman again. And uh, it, and Goudreau and Kachuk, uh, uh, they were on their games tonight. Like Calgary's offensive game was really good. And they yeah. were turning their, their chances into good shots on net and lots of shots on net. I mean, 47 shots. And they... Uh, uh, you know, they were bringing it from early in the game. And I think they thought if they could jump on Edmonton, uh, they could win the game outright. And at the end of the first period with, with 2 nothing Calgary, I mean, I don't know about you, I wasn't holding out a whole lot of optimism for... None. <laughs> I, I wouldn't have bet, I wouldn't, you know, there's just no way I would have bet on the orders. It, it just I, mm-hmm. it, like, it seemed like one one in a hundred chance of, mm-hmm. of coming back. Yeah, well, the Oilers won the second period by two goals, and they won the third period by two goals, and they won the game by two goals. So that's what wound up happening. But at that point, even in the first period, you know, it was 2 nothing against, and I thought Mikko Koskin was Edmonton's best player in the first period. And yeah, well, yeah. really the reason that it wasn't 3 or 4 nothing uh, was he, he made some fine stops in that period. And, you know, you might say on the on the trick goal that made it one nothing that the rebound wasn't great but like you say there wasn't a lot of uh support on that uh, on that one either oh that so. was a pretty tough shot by lindholm you know crosses mm-hmm. kind of going the opposite direction and yeah cc kind of like has got to have cody cc's got to have kachuk on that play yeah, yeah. it's it's the other thing right like mm-hmm. It was kind of like and, the Barkov one that went in the other night. That, that you didn't yeah. Like. It was a long way out, but he, I mean, Koskin did make the save, but he couldn't control the rebound. But he made a lot of other saves in the first where it just seemed like the the team in front of him was at sixes and sevens, and and uh, he held them in, and uh, he, uh, uh, you know, this was not a defensive gem by Edmonton, but uh, the goaltender made a lot of problems go away. What does that mean? What they were at That's how it's supposed to work, right? They were at sixes and sevens. What does that mean? Uh, it just means English. they're not on the same page. English soccer commentators say it a fair bit. It's an it's an English idiom used to describe a condition of confusion or disarray. It is known for certain. It is not known for certain, but the most likely origin of the phrase is a complicated dice game called hazard, more complicated version of the modern game of craps. Yeah. So I was wondering if it was cards. Like if you get a hand with sixes and sevens, you're kind of mm-hmm. screwed. Unless you got two sixes and two sevens, then that, that might work out. But anyway. I got it from, I got it from watching soccer. 
Uh, oh yeah. The announcers say it every every so when a team is is sort of all over the place defensively, and they'll say that. Uh, and Liverpool were really sixes and sevens and that sequence, you know. And so it's a good saying. No one knows where it comes from. Is the truth. <laughs> okay. Uh, we're done. Our bad things. Mm. We're ready for our numbers. Okay, my number, Bruce, is so in our scoring chance data. I describe each scoring chance. I do that to um, just in case I ever want to go through one player over time and see if there's a trend. Helps me give, you know, it creates a little bit more of a picture of what he exactly he did wrong. Uh, we, we already code it to say what he did wrong, like whether it's a turnover or a lost battle or he let a pass or whatever. But um, but I also, on the attack, I I, I count for Leon Dreisettle the what I call the executioner shot. And that's a shot that he typically gets on the power play, a one-timer shot, where he does the full wind-up and absolutely lashes it at the net. And we saw that tonight. He got one. And, and it just it made me think, when was the last time I saw that play? So I went back over our document and I searched. It, the last time Leon Dreisaitl got an executioner shot on net was game 25 of the season. Whoa. And at that point, Bruce, he had 11. Mm-hmm. So he had 11 in the first 25 games. He's had one in, in the 12 games since then. And I think that really speaks to the other teams, the opposition, taking that play away from the Edmonton Oilers on the power play. They're going to give you anything else. Mm-hmm. They're not going to give you that. And even this one was a little bit, you know, it wasn't like, it wasn't a, a it was a, you know, anytime he gets off that shot, it's a grade A shot because just because of the way he shoots. But it was a little bit from an angle, and it, and it wasn't from the, the the top, the best angle. But he still did get it off. And I think Bouchard being out there on the power play is going to open up, because um, Bouchard can make that pass for one thing, Self, yeah. set it up. But they're going to have to respect decoy. They're going to have to move out to cover Bouchard, and that's going to open up that that seam for Connor McDavid a little bit more, or Ryan Nugent Hopkins when he gets back. So we're, we might see a few more executioner shots in the next 20, 30, 40 games here um, mm-hmm. if they keep Bouchard out there. And we haven't seen it lately. And, I, and, I, and I, I do think it's very indicative of what the other teams are doing to the Edmonton Oilers. They're, they're taking that away. They're not going to get beat by that. They'll be beat by something else, but not by that. What's your number? Welcome back, executioner shot. We we really missed you. <laughs> we did. <laughs> we did. We did. He gets the he gets the honorary black hood tonight, Leon Dreisaitl. All right. What is your? Uh, uh, I'm going to go with two zero, which was the score in the third period. Uh, this is the first time the Oilers scored two goals in the third period since uh, well that last win in Seattle five weeks ago. Uh, it's the first time they've held the other team off the score sheet in the third period in the last seven games. Uh, the first game of the seven-game losing streak, they were they were they were trailing St. Louis 4-2 after the second and it ended 4-2. So technically that was a, a zero, but they were you know they couldn't get any closer. Uh, but during this uh, during the uh, seven-game or especially recently, the five last five games since January 1st. Uh, in the third period, the Oilers were outscored one goal for 14 against. So that's my real number, and that's 
the one that they had to turn around big time, 14 to one in 100 minutes of hockey, and including nine, nine to one in the two home games on this homestand. They gave up nine goals in the third periods, nine goals in 40 minutes. So to put a big zero on the board, and I mean, that's what 17 shots by Calgary, including four or five of your five alarm fires. So again, it wasn't a gem, but what they hadn't been getting was either the great defensive performance or the great goaltending. At least tonight they got one of those things, and and, and Koskinen was the uh, uh, was the answer. So uh, turning around that dismal, brutal third period uh, record that they've had of late was absolutely it had to be done asap and. For tonight, at least, they accomplished that. So, Every dog will have his day and every cat will mew. Hopefully, hopefully this is just not a one-off. Uh, we'll see, Bruce. We'll see. I, I sure you know, liked the celebration at the end of the game, and I loved how the team mobbed Koskinen. I thought that was really good. That, that showed me some good things about Koskinen himself and his relationship with the team. They knew how huge that was for him. It sounds like it sounds like there's going to be some changes coming. You know, there's a strong rumor they're going to sign to Vander Kane, right? Mm-hmm. So that's a change. They're going to have a big, strong, power forward. You know, you know, with off ice baggage, which, which we don't have to get into right now. We we've talked about it in the past, but um, that's he'll a change. Be a Obviously, rod. he'll be a lightning rod. Sure will. And, um, you know, I don't know if you, uh, Al May was talking on Oilers now and he talked you know, he, I thought he actually made, I hadn't really thought about the physical stuff a whole heck of a lot. I'd been starting to think about it a little bit more. I know it's, I know some people are very annoyed that the, the narrative of the Oilers lack of physical play is now coming up, but someone, someone pointed out today that the Oilers lost off their team last year, Jujar Kara, Josh mm. Archibald and Adam yeah. Larson. Yeah. Now, Jujar Kara, he was he played some really good hockey before he got injured last year. Mm-hmm. He was in a very effective fourth line center, yep. physical big fourth line center before he got hurt. Josh Archibald, I thought was a strong checking winger who threw hellacious hits. And of yep. course, Adam Larson is a nasty shutdown defensive defenseman par excellence and a very physical player. They do miss that, Bruce. They miss Adam Larson. They miss Adam Larson. Big time, what he brought to that team, that nasty element. And against the Flames tonight, he, it would have been wonderful to see Adam Larson go up against Johnny Goodrow and all these other players. He would have shut him down. This is a factor with the Oilers. I mean, Fogel and Hyman are two big, tough, honest, you know, grinding hockey players. I really like, I like both of them fine. Um, But they don't have the hitter, you know, that they right. don't have that guy who's nasty and, and hitting. So maybe Kane will provide a bit of that I like I, I honestly don't know Kane's game that well I've, mm-hmm. I've watched him over the years but I haven't really you know I focus on the Oilers is the truth I really right. I'm an Oilers centric viewer of the game and I watch the opposing players in relation to what they do against the Oilers but not really like focused on them so I'm not sure what kind of physical player he is like is he like does he consistently hit does he consistently is he really aggressive on the puck protect like Hyman is um, so I don't know but if if the orders do sign him, that 
that will be a big, you know, that could be an element that he could really add to the team. And if he does that, 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 that will, should help the Edmonton Oilers quite a bit. They need to, I think, um, get another player though on their, one of their bottom lines. I mean, Perlini's he's scoring now, so he's kind of earning his keep, but I think they need to get a, just one more, you know, Jujar Kara kind of center. When when Jujar wasn't hurt, I guess he's hurt in Chicago again. I understand. Is it is that not the case, or has he been playing? I had again? been. I think he's back. Let's see. Let's see how something else happened. No, it was a while ago. Last year, Jujar Kara was second in the NHL among regular players uh, for hits per sixty. So for the amount of ice time he got, he was he was a hellacious hitter. Only Ryan Reeves was ahead of uh, Jujar Kara. Or like he was just under 20 per 60 minutes. So one hit every three minutes. That's a lot. Mind you, it's easier to do that as a 10-minute-a-night player than a 20-minute-a-night player because, you know, yeah. all that contact adds up. But still, he was doing his job, and he was consistently doing it. And uh, they miss that. And they miss, you know, the, the stealth bomber, um, uh, Josh Archibald. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. He was sort of a guided missile out there on the ice. And uh, uh, as you say, Larson. And I thought before this game, I, I, I said privately to uh, a couple of people, if I'm if I'm Dwayne Sutter tonight, I tell my team to try and run the Oilers out of the rink because they've got, you know, uh, Rasmus Anderson, Nikita Zadorov, Eric Goodbranson on the back end. They got Milan Lucic up front. They got that uh, uh, that sneaky, dirty Matthew Kachuk. They got Brett Ritchie. You know, they got a lot of bangers, and the Oilers were missing Cassian. And you know, they've lost sort of the the, the 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 sort of central component of physical players. And you know, I mean, they replaced essentially replaced Jujar Kara with Ryan McLeod. Well. That's improvement in some areas, but certainly not an improvement on the physicality side of things. But shockingly, t- tonight the Oilers actually outhit the Flames, 35 to 30, uh, with little Kyler Yamamoto leading the way with six, Tyler Benson with five, including a couple of real doozies. But you know, they're, even their little guys were at least bringing it and throwing the throwing their weight around and not backing off. And you know, they so to me the Oilers answered that bell. Yeah, Benson's, he's figuring out a way to contribute by, well, that turnover in the third period was pretty bad, but oh, he did, he did, he did, that was bad. He did throw some good hits. Yamamoto's a physical player, uh, pound for pound. He's, he's, you know, one of the toughest guys in the NHL. Like he really is. He's a tough, <laughs> he's not that big, but man, he, he works and he hits and he, he battles for the puck. I like Tyler Yamamoto. I know like he's not, everyone's a big fan of him, but I, I, I do like him and I, mm-hmm. a lot. So, um, but anyway, we'll see what happens, Bruce. Like we're, we're waiting for something, you know, there was after that big loss, last big loss, we thought maybe, um, Tippett might get fired or make a trade for a goalie. I mean, we'll see. They, they, somehow they weathered this, you know, by some really good luck and a super hot night for Miko Koskinen. This, this is, you can't count on that though. Every night you can't count if you're giving up 20 grade A shots. Oh, you can expect to lose, and mm-hmm. yeah. that—that's that—that that should have been the expectation tonight. So this is a relief to all of us, but this what this isn't the answer, and um, they got to find some answers. And still, 
they got to find some answers still. And I, I'm not, I, I'm out of options. I mean, I like the idea of Pugliarvi on the PK. I think little things like that make a difference. I like the idea of Bouchard on the top power play. Um, so things like that can, you know, incrementally improve your team. I don't know if they need a, like just a bigger structural change. You know, after the first period, you could swear, just have sworn there's something just wrong with this team. They can't play defense anymore. Yeah. They, they don't know how to defend. Um, so I think these are still open questions. Nothing's settled tonight is what I'm trying to say. Nothing. Right. This this was exciting and this was a big win. This was thrilling. This was needed and all, all of those things. But the orders still have something's not right with this team. Um, they're giving up too many high quality chances. I think, and they certainly did tonight. Yeah, well, that was a big win for more than Mikkel Kostin, and that may have saved Dave Tippett's short-term situation. If they'd have come away from this homestand with zero points, you know, after a zero-win road trip, uh, it looked like they were going to go 0 for 3 on the homestand after the first period, and that might have been, I mean, we thought that after the road trip as well, but, uh, you know, Tippett had to pull out of this tailspin. He personally was behind the bench for 12 straight losses coming tonight. So he'll uh, at least get some sleep tonight, I would think, after uh, what's been going down. But uh, uh, And I know there were some fans out there probably secretly hoping, hoping for one more loss or however many it took to have a change there. But uh, let's face it, if they want to stay in the playoff hunt at all, the orders had to start garnering points and gaining points on their playoff rivals and they gained two on Calgary tonight. Let's leave it there. You got to do some writing, so I'll let you get at it. Bruce, thanks for talking tonight. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime, and in, in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast. Mm-hmm.